welcome to this uh, audio only episode of the Tune Under podcast. We are the uh, only dedicated Newcastle United podcast in the Southern Hemisphere. I'm Jack. Uh, the reason I'm doing this basically is because I'm bored out of my brain because I'm isolating with COVID. I'm about halfway through my week's isolation period. So I've had a little bit of time on my hands to have a have a um, a bit of a research and a bit of a look at some stuff. So um, it's just going to be me kind of, uh, it's a bit of an explainer really, because the this issue of financial fair play for Newcastle United is going to, has come up. Um, it's something that as the transfer window approaches um, is going to be talked about quite a, quite a lot more. And it's a bit of a, um, you know, it's a bit of a grey area subject in some ways. It's like, it's something that gets thrown about. People say, oh, financial fair play. But, you know, what it actually means and the purpose of it and how that is going to impact Newcastle in the transfer window um, isn't really, you know, it's not that clear. And it can just be something that people are aware of, but they don't fully understand what it's about. So this is... You know, this is mainly based on the work of Swiss Ramble on uh, Twitter, who's an absolutely fantastic account to do with all uh, all clubs, club finances, not just Newcastle. Uh, and he did a really good thread on this, which was in October, uh, last October. So it was before the January transfer window. It was just after the takeover. Um, but it gave a bit of a an idea about what we can expect from financial fair play and how that might impact on Newcastle. So financial fair play was uh, brought in by UEFA in 2000 and, uh, 2009. It was talked about to begin with and it was implemented. And then 2010 is the 2010-2011 season is when it started properly. So the the idea of it really, um, it's nothing to do with fairness, uh, which is was one of the criticisms of it. It's got absolutely nothing to do with fairness, um, which is partly why they're looking to change it as well, which I'll talk about in a minute. But the purpose of it was to stop clubs, just uh, clubs who were in UEFA competition, because it's UEFA. Um, it's not the Premier League. This is UEFA financial fair play. So the the idea was to try and stop clubs just, you know, spending all sorts of money they didn't have or from getting big handouts from the owners or beneficiaries uh, in the pursuit of success. So, uh what it basically means is that clubs are allowed a five million loss every season, um, plus a thirty million thirty million uh, pounds of acceptable losses or euros of acceptable losses. Um, so that equates, and it's over a three year period. That's the accounting period. So that equates to a one hundred five million euro loss over the three year reporting period. So. That doesn't sound that much um, when you've got, you know, clubs spending what they do on transfer fees, wages and agent fees as well. So one thing to say about this before we get into it properly is that they are looking to change this and UEFA have agreed changes for this already. So they're going to change it from it's the changes come in in June this year, June 2022, and they will be staggered over a three year period. And they're going to be working towards what they call a squad cost rule, which is where wages, transfers and transfer fees and agent fees can be no more than 70% of their club's revenue. 
and also the that acceptable losses figure which is 30 million euros at the moment is going to be increased to 60 million so financial fair play as it stands at the minute is not going to be around for too much longer and it's going to be it's going to be replaced by this squad costs rule so it, it is it's still gonna there's still gonna be restrictions and it's still gonna impact Newcastle United but it's gonna look a bit different as time goes on so being being specific about Newcastle this this was last October Newcastle had that so there was the 105 million loss that were allowed Newcastle have made a, th- a 38 million pound pre-tax profit in the three years to 2020 which isn't that surprising, given the way Mike actually ran the club, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And also, it was Newcastle's... So that would take it up to, what, 100, about 140 or £40 million or so that they'd be able to have as that as that loss amount. It was boosted by an extra £30 million for a, an adjustment for good expenditure. So this is what, what the class is good expenditure is community money for community um, initiatives, women's football, youth development and depreciation. And then through the COVID period as well, there was an adjustment for the COVID impact as well. So for Newcastle, that was 27 million. So the headline figure for Newcastle in October for financial fair play is that Newcastle's total spending potential was 200 million. So automatically that's kind of, before we even get into what that means, that's, that loss figure of 105 million allowable losses has been almost doubled up to 200 million. So the, there's some kind of accounting tricks and the way that um, the way that clubs uh, report transfer fees is a thing called player amortization. What this means is that the transfer fees are written off evenly over the length of a player's contract. So, for example, just for the sake of argument, these figures are probably a little bit off, but say Bruno costs 40 million, 40 million pounds over the course of a four-year contract. So that would contribute 10 million per year towards financial fair play. So you wouldn't be counting the 40 million all in one year. It would be it would class as 10 million each year over the, the course of his contract. And then say that his wages, I think this is probably a little bit of an overestimate, but for the sake of argument, say his wages are £100,000 £100, a week. That's an extra £5.2 million a year. So that total for Bruno, the total contribution towards financial fair play would be £15.2 million across the course of a year. So that's that's the way it works and the way why that 200 million figure doesn't actually necessarily mean that much. Um, theoretically, this is quite interesting, but theoretically Newcastle could go and spend 600 million on transfers if they wanted to. So in the transfer window, this was before January, so it'd be a little bit less now, but they could have gone and bought four players for 150 million each. That's not going to happen, obviously. Um, and they could have been paid 300,000 pounds a week and they still could have been below that 200 million. So that would have taken them to the very limit of the allowable losses. So it, and it would limit the the spending power in subsequent years. But it's why, like, you know, if you see you see things about financial fair play or you see talk in the press about it, or even you hear Eddie Howe talk about it, which I'm gonna talk about in a minute, and you hear the club 
talking about it, it doesn't actually mean um, that we're not going to be able to spend money. You know, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of wiggle room within this, and and it's because of the way it's because of the way Newcastle were run for the fourteen years, or particularly for the ten years since financial fair play came into place. So I'm probably going to do something that that doesn't happen very often from Newcastle fans, and it's I'm gonna I'm gonna give Mike Ashley. A little bit of credit for feeling a little bit dirty doing this, but we we all, I mean, fans all know that Mike Ashley ran the club on a on a shoestring budget, and his his tight approach to the finances means that Newcastle have got lots of wiggle room now within financial fair play. So Newcastle only lost money twice in the last ten years of that period. One was the Championship season where Ashley. Gamble well, yeah, he gambled on getting the club back up by allowing signings such as Matt Ritchie and Dwight Gale and all of the other players we signed that summer, even though we sold Sissoko and Wijnaldum in particular and Jan Matt. We still made a loss. We still made a loss that year um, because of the vastly reduced TV money and because also because we signed quite a lot of players. He, it's the second time we've been relegated under Mike Ashley and the second time he gambled that would come back up and lucky for him and lucky for us, we did. So that was one of the seasons we lost money. And the other season was COVID, which has been allowed for anyway, within the relaxation of the financial fair play uh, rules for that season. So Newcastle have actually got the fourth highest Premier League profits over the last decade of 94 million. Um, Again, probably because we haven't spent we haven't spent money on players and um, sometimes we haven't bought any players at all. Uh, and because there's been such a, such a um, obsession from Mike Ashley with not spending money and with, you know, pe- pairing things back to as, as cheap as he could. Uh, when he took over in 2007, Newcastle had the fifth highest wage bill and that more or less sort of tallied with where we were in the league at that time. Uh, we weren't quite that high, but we had been, it's not that long since we'd been in the Champions League and we've been in Europe. Um, and that was reduced to the... So we went from the fifth highest wage bill in 2007 down to the 11th highest in 2020. The 150 million net transfer spend that we had from 2015 to 2020 was the 14th highest in the Premier League. Um, that puts us behind Fulham and Aston Villa and Wolves, among other clubs, uh, we all know that we didn't we didn't spend a lot of money on transfers. So that's 150 million over that five year period, 14th highest in the Premier League, more or less tallies with where we were in the league, where we have been in the league for the last for the last few years since we got promoted again. Ashley had loaned 107 million uh, pounds to the club as well, which now has been repaid uh, with the sale of the club. And something else he did do, which was beneficial for us, is it was interest-free. So there was no massive amount of interest being paid on the on that loan, unlike Manchester United, um, who've had the leveraged buyout, and that's been they've been paying. I think it was twenty million pounds in interest over one one year. Uh, something else Mike actually did was he cleared the transfer debt completely in twenty twenty. Uh, he there was a there was a thing that he did where he didn't um, like to be owing clubs for players in the future. And remember when when Mike Ashley took over, 
Uh, he was, you couldn't believe that we still owed all this money for players. Some, some players who'd left the club even. Um, so it's the way that clubs, clubs run these days with doing installments. Um, and that's probably the way we're going to go again for various reasons. But it was something that Mike actually didn't want to do. So the transfer debt was completely cleared by 2020, which is is good. It's good for us um, in the position that we're in now. And just as a comparison, Arsenal, Man United, and Spurs all had more than 140 million pounds owing in 2020. So that's just shows you that's how the how other clubs do operate. Now we get to kind of the. I mean, so that stuff is kind of demonstrative that Mike Ashley was running the club as a business. You know, we, we, we know that he did that. He, he didn't, he didn't after the first year anyway, after kind of 2007, when he first came in, things turned sour pretty quickly in by 2008. And he did run the club as a business. Um, it's a shame for us that we had 12 more years of that, but the, you know, he can't be criticised. He can be criticised for a lot of things, but he can't be criticised for putting the club in financial danger, you know, other than the fact we got relegated twice, which he then had to kind of bail bail out or gamble on coming straight back up. But between 2010 and 2020, he invested nothing of his own money, zero pounds of his own finance. Um, We know that anyway. I think part of the criticism that we had was that he didn't allow the club to invest its own money either, which was also true to an extent. But I remember when he was doing interviews when he was saying, oh, you need to be a billionaire, you know, you need to be a nation state, whatever he said, to try and compete these days. Um, there's maybe a bit of truth to that, but he was. it was obvious after those first couple of years that he wasn't intending on spending any of his own money. Um as a comparison to that, Manchester City's owners put in 1.1 billion, um, and you, you can't do that anymore. We'll get onto we'll get onto why in a minute, and whether that's even uh, a desirable thing to do. But even Villa, who hadn't been in the Premier League for a lot of that period, their owners put in 460 thousand. Brighton, 325 thousand, and West Ham, the much maligned owners of West Ham. Uh, £80,000 of the own money. So this is why this is where Newcastle um, fell behind in that in that regard. That like we we didn't we had an owner who wasn't interested in spending his own money. He wasn't interested in allowing the club to spend its own money either. In some ways. And then the other thing that was became more and more apparent the longer he stayed is that the capital expenditure. So that's money on the stadium, money on the training ground. That was the lowest in the Premier League at just seven seven million pounds. So, as a comparison, Spurs with a new stadium, one point four billion pounds. Brighton, one hundred forty eight million. Leicester, one hundred five million. So, you know, it's it's obvious. It's been obvious to anybody who's been to St James's Park over the last five years that there was just no attention to care given to the stadium, the training ground. <laughs> Those. Those um, paddling pools at the training ground, you know, it just it just uh, exemplifies the fact that Mike Ashley was not allowing any expenditure on these 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 areas of the club, which all just le- contributed to that sense of neglect and that sense of um, a club that was really becoming very downtrodden. 
Um, we've we've joked on this podcast before about the Gallagher pigeon. <laughs> There's been a, a dead pigeon on the on the roof of the Gallagher for a lot of years, and then this was shown that this um, the fact that this was becoming a real problem for the fan base was just shown when the takeover did happen, when everyone got absolutely thrilled, excited about the fact that they were cleaning the windows at St. James's Park. So this is this paints a picture of the club that that Mike Ashley left, which we which we knew um, we know all this anyway. But it was it was financially sound in in one sense, but it, it was at the expense of any kind of sort of progression of the club or ambition to to um, push forward and to try and become you know the best version of itself that it could be. Um, the club is just ticking along, you know, which is a famous um, quote from Steve Bruce, that the club was just ticking along. It was existing to exist. Um, and everybody was wholeheartedly sick of that, which explains, partly explains the excitement when the takeover did happen, regardless of who the identity of the takeover was going to be. And so, so in terms of other clubs, when it comes to financial fair play, so the, the two clubs that we kind of get sort of compared to now um, in terms of you could call us the new money clubs in a sense. So it's uh, Chelsea with their takeover first from Abramovich and then Manchester City. Um, Manchester City lost about £450 million and Chelsea lost £560 million in the five years immediately after their sales. So before they then moved into profit profitability. So those those clubs are both now compliant with financial fair play. Um Chelsea are 232 million in the black and City 142 million. So they are more than compliant with financial fair play. Um and the reasons for that is because of the vast revenue they've managed to raise. But it took them it took them five, six, a little bit longer, years for them to get into a position. And it took it took benefactors pumping in their own cash to get to this situation where they've become financially viable and not reliant on these hand, handouts from the owners anymore. And you're not allowed to do that anymore. So financial fair play puts an, put an end to that, which I think is probably on the whole is a good thing. And I know that it means that it might take longer for us to be able to get to that position. But that's, I think, for football, I think, Generally, I think it's a good thing that you can't just get people coming in, throwing cash, um, no matter how much they lose, and then just becoming successful because of that. It's going to require us to be a bit more sensible, um, but it's also going to force us to be a bit more sustainable, which is which is a very, very good thing because you never know what's going to happen with football owners or with football clubs. Another club just to mention in this is Everton. So... Everton are, have been not very uh, wise with the way they've spent their money, uh, and they've 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 actually come very close to falling foul of financial fair play. They sustained two hundred sixty five million pounds in losses from two thousand and seventeen to two thousand and twenty in that three year reporting period, um, and even with with other factors taken into account, so. There's the allowances and there's the COVID factor taken in. They're still eleven million pounds actually in the red. So they are they're actually, as far as financial fair play goes, they're actually non non compliant at the moment with that. 
Um, what they've done a couple of things which have managed to, even though they've done a few things that have managed to increase the finances, which is to do with um, it, it's basically dodgy dealing. So Usmanov, Usmanov, who is a I think he's a shareholder in Everton and he's involved with Mashiri's Mashiri's companies and businesses. They he paid twelve million to sponsor Everton's training ground, and then thirty million just for an option to name the stadium. So not for the naming rights, just for an option for the naming rights. So this is ways that clubs have thought they need cash quick to try and become financial fair play compliant. So it's how we're going to get this money in, and is the creative ways we can get this cash because there's um there's rules now as we're going to come on to rules about about own ownership and sponsorship. But even with that, Everton is still in the red when it comes to financial fair play, which is sort of, you can see why they're so desperate to not get relegated uh, and why people are thinking they could be in serious, serious trouble if they do. So one of the, one of the ways, in fact, the main way that financial fair play that you can you can even this out and it can become not a problem is through raising revenue and through raising income it's um this isn't this is an area for newcastle that we are going to, going to be able to focus a lot on because it's something that completely stagnated under mike ashley um it's also this is also a, a criticism of financial fair play in its current guise because people say, well, it protects the big clubs because these clubs have got massive, established already. They've got huge commercial operations. They've got revenue coming in from all over the place. So they're always going to be all right under financial fair play. And it makes it harder for those clubs just behind, just behind the, the if you want to say the elite, the top established top six clubs. It makes it harder for them to then make that jump and bridge the gap. Um, Manchester United, for example, you know they've they're not not in the Champions League. They're going to be in the Champions League this season. The club's in a little bit of a mess on the pitch, but they have got such massive commercial um, revenue that they're always going to have that that ability to spend a lot of money to try and get themselves out of the the hole they're in on the pitch at least. So, just in terms of Newcastle. Under Mike Ashley, the match day revenue fell from 34 million in 2007 to 25 million in 2019. So that's a 26% decline in match day revenue. Meanwhile, Liverpool, Spurs, and City all had more than 100, 100% increases in their match day revenue over that period of time. So it's still relatively small amounts of money in the grand scheme of things, but it's just an, another area where Newcastle really fell behind. Newcastle's commercial income increased under Mike Ashley by a whole £1 million from £28 million up to £29 million. That's the whole commercial income up to £29 million. The big six, the big six, established six, all had huge increases. So between Arsenal, which is now £142 million, and Man United, which is now £279 million. That's what I was saying before about Man United. They're a, they're, they're a commercial... Uh, beast 280 million you know um so that shows you the gap that even everton are on 76 million income and west ham on 34 million so the the commercial income as well as the match day revenue 
just stagnated under Mike Ashmi. Um, in terms of the shirt sponsorship, Fun eighty eight sponsorship is six and a half million per year for us. That's probably going to be going to be cancelled soon, I think, because we'll want. Even though it's there's no actually clarity over how long the Fun eighty eight sponsorship deal is, but um, it's a gambling company anyway, so Saudis the Saudis are not allowed to advertise gambling. Um, and we we need to be looking at making more money from that from a, a shirt sponsor. The big six, big six again, are between 35 million Spurs and 64 million Man United. So, you know, Man United are ten, get 10 times what we do from shirt sponsorship. Even Spurs get five times what we do. That's another area that we can focus on. There's a, there's a need to ensure that sponsorships are, in quotes, fair value. Um, the Manchester City and Etihad sponsorship deal was deemed not too excessive by UEFA. Um, so that's something that we need to bear in mind. It's a bit of a, I mean, you can just see how that, how that phrase "fair value." Who who decides what's fair? You know, you can see how that is open to interpretation and debate. Uh, there's this there's this temporary ban on clubs agreeing sponsorship deals with companies linked to the owners. So this is a real bone of contention for our new owners who came in and then and then the Premier League as a whole, I think it was just Manchester City and obviously Newcastle that didn't vote for this. The other 18 clubs all agreed on this temporary ban on sponsorship deals between companies linked to the owners. So this could potentially, I mean, this it's not just Newcastle, this could impact. It could potentially impact Everton with a training ground, like I was saying before. Leicester City Stadium, King Power Stadium, uh, is a company owned by their owners. Um, and also you've got, if you're talking wider than the Premier League, you've got the European clubs that do it. So PSG do it with Qatar. Bayern, actually, Bayern is a bit different because... Three companies, Adidas, Audi, and Allianz, actually own stake in Bayern Munich, and um, but they do that as well. And then Juventus and Dortmund are other club, other examples of clubs that have sponsorship deals with companies linked to, you know, com- or companies that own their own part, part or part stake in their club. So that is something that um, is we're going to hear more about, I think, as time goes on. Player trading can help in terms of raising revenue and income. Chelsea are the best example of this, although they've they've made made good use of the loan system, um, signing players young, sending them out on loan, and then if they're nowhere near the first team, selling them for you know ten million plus. Liverpool have done it a little bit as well, but Chelsea made four hundred thirty four million in profit on player sales between two thousand fifteen and two thousand twenty. Liverpool made 276 million and then Leicester made 209 million. So Chelsea you can see there how Chelsea have massively raised their revenue streams by selling players by buying them young, put, sending them on loan and then selling them before they um they don't get get to the Chelsea first team a lot of the time. Over that period of time Newcastle made 100 million on player sales. So obviously we haven't had very good players over the last 5 years or so. Um, we've managed to sell a couple, like I talked before about Sissoko and Wijnaldum, who were sold out of necessity because we got relegated as well. But 
there's scope there for Newcastle to increase that. And as we obviously progress, as we get better players, uh, we're going to be, have more chance of selling them. So Newcastle's uh, overall revenue in 2020 was 153 million, which is still eighth in the Premier League, despite all of these, um, all of these restrictions or the problems that was caused by the way Mike Ashley ran the club. This, the revenue was still eighth in the Premier League, uh, which kind of is reflective of the standing of the club. I think most people would sort of say that that's about where Newcastle are or around that kind of point of the Premier League in terms of size of club or, you know, we're hoping to become bigger and bigger, but one of the one of those clubs outside the established top six, I hate that phrase, but... Um, so that's where we're at in terms of revenue. Um, but even that, 153 million is still less than half of Arsenal, who was sixth place. Their revenue is 343 million, and Man United's was 509 million pounds. So that just shows you the gap between the established top six and the rest as well, which everybody already knew about. Before Mike Ashley came in, Newcastle were the sixth highest uh, revenue, um, but that was also pre the Man- Manchester City takeover. And even now, even despite all this, Newcastle still have the twenty first highest revenue in the world. Um, in the world, twenty first highest revenue in the world. Pre pre Ashley, we were we were in fourteenth. So this shows you that I think Newcastle is still are in a very very good position to be able to um, to push on. Um, and for all of the problems that, that was caused by Mike Ashley, uh, the way he ran the club has left us in a pretty decent position when it comes to financial fair play. So that's kind of the, the, the sort of headline um, figures from that Swiss Ramble thread, and then a few things from a couple of the other sources. Um, and a couple of my sort of takeaways from it, I think, yeah, obviously Mike Ashley's lack of ambition and his focus on on the bottom line has left Newcastle in a really good position to spend big if we want to now. Uh, this is what a lot of fans are expecting is going to happen. Um, this, I think this just shows that we do have the capability to do that if if we want to or if the right player comes up. Um, I mean, I was just thinking about, to me, for somebody who... Mike Ashley has clearly got good business sense and it just seems crazy that he didn't try and maximise the commercial side of Newcastle. I don't think he ever realised fully what he was sit- what he was potentially sitting on. Um, that might have been because he just didn't want to employ people to do that work. Uh, he just wasn't bothered. Or maybe he's just, you know, he- he'd strip back everybody at the club till basically Lee Charnley was running everything. Um, maybe it was that he, he only ever really cared about Newcastle um, being an advertising vehicle for Sports Direct. At least after he'd fallen out with the fans in after two thousand and eight, um, I think it's yeah one of the things I've got is just I think it's amazing that Newcastle still have the twenty first biggest revenue despite fourteen years in the world despite fourteen years of Ashley. Um, something that is exciting for us um, is that there's scope for pretty much unlimited capital investment in the training ground and the stadium, all of which have been neglected for years. Um, these things will. We already know that they're they're going to actually they're going to upgrade the current training ground first, um, and then there's a long term plan to get a brand new training ground. 
Um, the stadium, Murdad Gudisi says that we're not going to leave St. James's Park, and I very much hope that that's the case. Um, but we're we're probably going to need to look at whether we're going to ex- extend the capacity at least by maybe eight or ten thousand seats, um, to try and increase that match day revenue coming in, and also as well as the the sort of practical benefits of having a, a good training ground and a, be- a bigger stadium. It's also just going to raise the profile of the club, um, as well as potentially attract sort of commercial income from sponsorship. Um, we're not going to be able to sustain, like we were saying before, those big losses over for the first five years that City and Chelsea did with their massive owner investment. We're going to have to do it, um, go a bit slower and be a bit more prudent than that, and that's that's fine. I think that's, I'm absolutely fine with that. I think that's it's. Um, it's sensible anyway, and it means that we're going to be more sustainable and we're not just relying on, look what's happening with Chelsea now. They're going to be sold, but um, you just don't know what's going to happen. When you when your football club's kind of uh, owned by a nation state or somebody in Abramovich's case who's linked with geopolitical um, events, you just don't know what's going to happen. Um, it was interesting to me that Everton... Everton seem to have been profligate and wasted money for years, but there's still only 11 million, 11 million in the red. Um, so that shows there's kind of plenty of room to maneuver within financial fair play. And obviously we've just got, we've got far more wealth, wealthy owners than Everton now. Um, and we've probably got more commercial opportunity than them as well. Uh, there's obviously a lot of room to grow the match day income and increases. We're probably going to increase the ticket prices a bit. I think the 10 year price freezes have all pretty much come to an end now, I think. Uh, and there's going to be no more outsourcing of the catering in the club shop, which happened under Ashley. One of my takeaways from this was that Man United basically have got 10 times our commercial and shirt sponsorship income. So Man United are a huge global success. Um, commercially uh, not on the pitch anymore as as of the last few years but i think i don't think newcastle actually need to be targeting man united i think we need to look at if we can get to if we can multiply our income by 5 we'll get to around where arsenal are now and catch back up to where spurs spurs are so that's more or less where we were in 2007 um so that's probably something for us to focus on over the next maybe 5 to 8 years 5 five, six, seven, eight years to try and get to that. And then I think probably Man United and Liverpool are, pro- are on a different level anyway, the size size of their club. I think this um, this thing about the, the, spon- the rule that the Premier League rushed through about not being able to have sponsorship from a company linked to your owners, that's obviously, that's going to impact clubs that are already there. Um. But they'll probably just end up say, well, we'll do it retrospectively so it's from now. So, you know, they're not going to make less to rename the stadium. But it just doesn't seem that that's... I'm not a lawyer, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be legal. It just seems to me, I don't know how they're going to they're going to justify that. I think there'll be a legal challenge from Newcastle about that. Um, and if that is resolved, it just means that Newcastle will have to reach, quotes again, fair value with any anybody so it'll probably be a saudi company could be a ramco or saudi air or something like that um but if they can't do that or if the if this rule is 
is implemented and if there's no legal challenge that can get around this, you'd think that there'll be workarounds, or there'll be some kind of accounting tricks or workarounds that we can do to make sure that we're getting, we're, we're really increasing that sponsorship and commercial income. I think training ground and stadium naming will be on the cards if they want to maximise commercial income. I'm not I'm not enamoured with the idea of St James's Park being renamed, um, but I would I would rather that than they've moved to a different stadium completely. Um, I just think I'm realistic about that. This is the way football is, you know. Um, if they can if they can retain the name St James's Park in there somewhere, then that'd be good. But um, it's always going to be St James's Park to supporters anyway, um, and it it won't be any worse than the sports direct abomination that Mike Ashley. Um, put in place which he didn't pay for which sports direct didn't pay for but um that so yeah i think this this training ground doesn't matter you know that's there's, there's going to be no kind of emotional ties with that anyway so that can be sponsored but um i do think the stadium probably will be renamed at some point and as long as like i said as long as we're staying at uh at the site st james's park um it's probably something that I think I'm just realistic. I think it'll happen. I'm not going to be too upset about that. Um, getting into Europe and having better players to sell, I spoke about this before, that's all going to help grow income, obviously. Um, we've only probably got in the squad at the minute, there's probably only a couple of really saleable assets that you'd sell for more than 10 million. Uh, and really, those are the, these are the players that we probably don't want to be selling at this point in time. Um... In terms of the actual, so this is what the point I'm getting to really is that there's going to be talk all all summer, all through the transfer window about players, about how much money Newcastle can spend. You've got journalists saying, oh, they've got between 60 and 80 million budget. You've got others saying that the budget's a bit more. You've got people criticising them because in January we ended up spending more money than that, uh, what they said. I think there's just it's all noise. There's just there's a lot of noise going around. We're just gonna to have to get used to that. Um I'll be trying to stick to my usual policy of not um getting excited about individual names until something actually happens, until there's a until it's confirmed. But effectively, just for the sake of argument, if we went and signed five players this summer, I think we'll probably sign between four and six first team players this summer. If we went out and signed five players for, for say, £100 million on five-year contracts, that would be that would be £20 million towards financial fair play in in that um, in terms of the transfer fee in that uh, in that situation. Um, because one player for £20 million would be £4 million because it's £20 million divided by the by the five-year contract. Um, and then if you've got, let's just say for the sake of argument, they're on £100,000 per week each. That's an extra £5.2 million um, towards financial fair play. Times that by the five players, that's £26 million. So you're talking about £20 million from the players towards financial fair play and then £26 million in wages. So that would be £46 million uh, contributed towards financial fair play off signing five players for for 20 million on five-year contracts so that to me that just shows that that's that's not going to happen like we're not going to go and sign um well it, it could happen in that those those the figures will obviously be a bit be a bit off 
and we'll need to spend more than £20 million on a couple of players probably if we want real quality. But it just shows you that's only a £46 million addition towards financial fair play. Um, so it just shows you that we've got a lot of scope here. Um, to, and that's we were talking about a £200 million allowance before. So you can just see that that doesn't even hit a quarter of that £200 million allowance. So we've got a lot of scope to spend a lot of money if we want to this summer. So I think Eddie Eddie Howe has been in his press conferences and the the club as a whole have been very clear to be saying that, to reference financial fair play, um, and they're saying that we're going to have to be working within these restrictions, which is all true. But I think they might be overstating a little bit the, um, the restrictions that we're actually going to be under. Um, we know that they want to do it sustainably. They want to build over time. But... Um, I don't think, I think it's more about at this stage, it's more about the club um, not wanting to be seen as a, a soft touch to other clubs and to agents um, and just to fold to the club's transfer and wage demands. Um, the plan the, the plan is going to be for sustainable growth well within financial fair play, um, but there's definitely still scope for spending big money on the right player. And that's my main takeaway from this. So, um, I don't think we're going to be seen as we're not going to go and sign Neymar, which is fine. I don't want to sign Neymar anyway. Um, we're, we're probably not going to sign a whole new team either, which uh, I don't think we need to do. Um, there, there are we've talked about this previously, but there are going to be some players in the squad still next season that some fans will not be particularly happy about. But the I think we will have a significantly improved squad. And I think, just like what happened in January with Bruno, if we've got the capability um, and if if the opportunity presents itself, I don't think we'll hesitate remotely in going out and signing quality players to add to the team. And when you followed Newcastle through the Mike Ashley era, um, transfer windows where we didn't sign anybody, Last summer, where we only signed Joe Willock, uh, turning his loan permanent, I think that that's very it's very exciting for Newcastle fans at this point in time, and I think that the future is going to be extremely exciting, and we've got a lot to look forward to, and we don't have to worry too much. Um, as I said, I understand why Eddie Howe and the club are pushing this line about financial fair play. Um, I hope I've done a little bit of a job of explaining. Explaining about it, I know it's just my voice talking, but um, if nothing else, it's helped me understand and got it straight in my head, and it's stopped me from going crazy uh, while I'm isolating with COVID. So, thanks very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe if you are um, if you're listening on YouTube. Uh, this is going out as an audio only, so we love the the audio downloads as well. Uh, we will be back. Um, for a review of the Arsenal game, which will be probably on Tuesday or Wednesday next week. Cheers. Bye for now.